Hello everyone, welcome to The Cool Down, where we talk about the dumbest and coolest shit in competitive gaming. I am Frank Fields. And I am Taylor Cock. Today we have a topic that kind of is after my own heart. As I got my, I wouldn't say I got my start in esports with RTSs, but I'd say that was kind of my gateway into making it a professional career, playing competitive Warcraft 3, writing about competitive and professional Warcraft 3, and then playing, owning a StarCraft 2 team, and working in operations in StarCraft 2. The topic we have for today is maps and all the wonderful things they do to competitive games. And perhaps no industry was changed by maps more than the RTS scene, but that doesn't mean that's the only scene that they had an effect on. And today we're going to talk about the wide-ranging features of multiple maps, why they're good, why they're bad, and all the other things. Taylor, how do you feel about maps? Well, I mean, I I have long been on record stating that uh, Dust2 is the single greatest multiplayer map in history. Uh, I, I I actually believe that firmly. I think it's the single, it's the pinnacle of multiplayer gaming, and uh, that that strong belief is uh, it has been sort of shaken today because they Valve went ahead and remade Dust Two. This isn't obviously this isn't the first time this isn't ha- this has happened, but it's a pretty small change. Just basically some cosmetic stuff and a few movements of little things. But and yeah, it got me thinking. Like man, these small map changes and these or having multiple multiple maps in a game it changes everything completely i mean think about it, every single time overwatch gets a new map everyone loses their mind yeah you know it's like oh my god we have to learn this new map like ah every time counter-strike has maps rotated in and out of, of competitive it, it it blows people's minds it changes a lot out. yeah i mean like look at last year when they actually rotated dust two out of the competitive cycle just so they could rework it uh, it, it was it was a huge 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 deal. So yeah, I mean like I, I I've always sort of been fascinated by map design, and I think it's something that uh, I, I don't isn't talked about enough within the esports scene. Um, yeah, and I I, th- I think it's really interesting. So I think I want to let's start our conversation really in the place where maps have had the most impact, at least in my opinion. Um, Brood War I think is the the biggest example of how maps can really help a competitive team. Um, Because when Brood War was in esports in Korea, Blizzard rarely, if ever, patched the game. In fact, as far as I can remember, there were probably less than 50 patches for Brood War ever. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was this thriving competitive scene in Korea. And there were a lot of different moments in time where one race or another, and it was usually Zerg, was frustrated because they felt like they were underpowered, they felt like they couldn't compete, and it was really through both the innovation of the players, but also because of the different map pools that were available that changed the balance of the game. On certain maps, Terran would be more powerful. On certain maps, Protoss would be more powerful. Uh, On certain maps, Zerg would be more powerful. And this, because of the kind of ban, veto, and pick system that existed in map making, it was it kind of created a, a situation in competitive gaming where someone would have to like break serve so to speak where you would have to <laughs> beat your opponent on their map choice in order to take back control of the series um, we see that today still in games like smash where hungry box is on dreamland is like probably the biggest example of that's always his go-to mm-hmm. map that's where he goes to change the series around 
Um, so that type of thing became really, really renowned in, in Brood War, and it helped really shape the way that the game evolved over time and kept the scene alive a lot longer than I think it would have otherwise. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about that is the way that map design really evolved within Brood War. A lot of these early maps, uh, I mean, obviously where Blizzard made those first initial set of maps, but as time went on, more and more amateur map makers started to get into the scene, started to create maps. And then eventually, Frank, as, as you, we were talking about off mic, these guys became professional map makers. They yeah. would make maps specifically for the competitive scene. And first of all, like, that's wild. That's I mean, that's something that doesn't exist anymore, really. I mean, like, when was the last time you saw a, a player-made map get added into a competitive scene? I mean, it's probably... Only StarCraft 2 now. And StarCraft 2 had some, but I don't... I actually... I, full disclosure, I haven't followed StarCraft 2 as closely in the last few years, but I imagine some of those maps are still player-made, but probably not very many. But for a while, almost yeah. all of the top competitive maps were player-made. Uh, that's that's wild. I mean, like it, it, it really goes to show how much of a, a collaborative community effort early esports was uh, to in order to figure out a way to balance this game that Blizzard wasn't balancing on their own, whether you believe that's right or wrong. Most people believe that's right for Brood War. Uh the fact that the community was rising up to balance balance a game that was not seeing many uh, patch changes was something that's really cool and like a really special and uh, sort of uh, grassroots and influential moment within esports. Yeah, and this kind of evolution continued as we went to Warcraft 3, and it was even more exaggerated because the Warcraft 3 map pool almost never changed. Um, there was the standard Terranistan, Turtle Rock, Twisting, Twisting Meadows. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of the competitive maps, but <laughs> each of these maps were kind of like preferred by one race. There was like two races that would prefer Terranistan. There was two that would prefer Meadows. And, and the matchups and, and the way you use units depend on the map for example in the night elf versus orc matchup on turtle rock people would go for master roots of the talon because there were so many good choke points for it and but mm -hmm. on other maps it wasn't as viable a strategy because the maps were too open there weren't as many choke points and then the orc could surround the druids of the talon um this also is the same with humans and how they would use their fast expands on certain maps it would be much easier to fast expand than others because of how easy the creep camps were to take on the gold mines and then on other maps it would be much harder to fast expand so human would be a disadvantage um and so the maps in warcraft 3 really did have a a huge impact on the competitive scene so much that so that um, because Undead didn't really have a lot of favored maps and because the, the race just never really found its spot, there was, I think, a two-year stretch where there was an Undead player never won an international tournament, which is wild to think wow. about because the map, the maps that they played on, there was like only maybe one or two where they even had a, a shot at running um, their most viable strategies. So that can really show you um, how much the map pools can have on certain things. And then, of course, it continued to StarCraft too. Mm -hmm. So I, I was not a Warcraft player at all. I mean, I literally bought Warcraft 3 so I could play Dota and then just never play. I play the campaign and that was it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but how much? How, how many of those maps did it end up being that people came in and started creating maps so that the undead, or undead race actually had a chance of winning? Yeah, like, so is that how it evolved i would say at the height of warcraft 3 there were probably only seven or eight maps that were regularly in rotation and that lasted for about two or three years so that, that's crazy to think about when you think about how fast maps rotated in brood war and starcraft 2 that you had the same maps being played that long 
but um, certain tournaments would create maps and like for example the Korean and Chinese scenes they were much more active in creating maps than the European scene which which were kind of slow on creating maps in that game towards the end there was a much bigger diversity of maps and you know Warcraft 3 is still played in China to this day um, and yes well, maps have been innovative on a ton because of that um, whether the racial balance is better right now, I'm not sure, but the racial balance did get better over time because of some of the new maps that became available, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, it's it's weird to hear about... I mean, Warcraft 3 was not the the biggest eSport in the world, obviously. I mean, I'd like, say it, for, it a time, like for a time, it was like it and CS, I think for like a two right. to three year period. But yeah, in general, it was not as big as many others. So it's interesting to hear about some of the the innovations that would come out come around in games that were as as big, uh, and it, it it's it's just it, yeah it's an interesting thing because it, you hear, always hear about StarCraft and StarCraft was so huge for so long that it's like oh yeah of course there's going to be community innovation around maps and that sort of thing but for Warcraft it, it's it's you got to be dedicated, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I th- um, I think uh, StarCraft Two is really the one that kind of kind of set map making into overdrive because then you had organizations like ESV that were almost entirely based around maps, and people had map making contests, and like the maps that came out of that organization and the contacts contest became some of the best maps on the scene like ohana which was considered one of the best competitive maps for years was a fan-made map by esv um and and i i can't even it's been so long i can't even name the number of esv maps that eventually made it to rotation but it had to be at least over 10 maybe even over 20 there were so many yeah and what's interesting about rts games and specifically starcraft 2 is just how many maps there were I mean, like, there, there's, in yeah. most competitive games, you never see, I mean, 10 is even, that's 10 is considered, like, so many. excessive, and I'd say a lot of people think the Overwatch 13 or 14 is is a high, but StarCraft 2 had probably 40 or 50 maps that went through the professional rotation um, within yeah. a course of, like, four or five years. That's, I mean, that's wild. That's so many maps. And it's like, when you think about, you know, learning maps now, uh, especially in Counter-Strike or Overwatch, it, it, I can't even imagine how much time it must take to learn all of those different maps uh, in StarCraft 2, especially somebody like me who's coming from a MOBA background, uh, right. where I, I only have to know one map. Yeah, and the, the thing about it is tournament organizers realized that there were so many, so like there would always be a map pool for the tournament. Let's say if most of the matches were best of fives or or and then maybe like a best of seven final, they would have like a map pool of nine or something so that you could practice them, but you wouldn't have to know like... Because at any given time in the StarCraft scene, there were probably like 14 or 15 viable maps. Some were on their way out, some were on their way in and were newer, so you usually have... A combination of old favorites and then some of the newer ones that's kind of how we did things at ipl and and how other organizations did it too like dreamhack and mlg and etc um if you had if you had like best of threes and best of fives only maybe you'd only have a map pool of seven because the way that people did it was that you would have a map ban so that the race would be able to take away one map that they were extremely disadvantaged of in a matchup so that the maps that they did play on were a little bit more balanced and a little bit more fair because as, as i said in the intro there 100% are where maps where one one race or one play style would be extremely favored against another. 
Can you give me an example of that in StarCraft 2? As somebody who you know did not play StarCraft 2 at a high level, sure. Or um, at a high level. I, the names are kind of evade me at this point, but for example, there were many, there were a few maps that would have like very narrow choke points um, on elevated high ground, just like that general concept. Okay, and and on those maps, for example, Protoss, um, you know, Protoss is, is kind of very strong units. Not very as mo- not very mobile, at least back in the Wings of Liberty and even Heart of the Swarm days. Things have changed a lot um, in Legacy of the Void, but back then, um, and so on those maps where you had kind of very narrow choke points on high ground outside of an expansion, that would be the maps where Forge Fast Expanding first came out, where instead of building a gateway and building a zealot and walling off your base, which was the standard, people would actually build a pylon and build a forge on that choke point outside their as what's called their their natural their natural expansion because right outside their base and on on those maps it would be extremely easy for the protoss to expand without being punished whereas open maps for example metalopolis which was a map that was used at the at the beginning of starcraft 2 it had a natural expansion but it was extremely open it was very very wide so it was very difficult for protoss to forge fast expand on those maps um people still did it but it was much more difficult it was a lot more viable for people to use like a four gate or five gate all-in strategy which for those who didn't play starcraft just means you mass units at the beginning of the game hoping to overwhelm your opponent while they're expanding um as a protoss player that's that's kind of how i always like that was the biggest thing it's like what maps can you forge fast expand on what maps can you do a like a void ray rush which is an air unit that killed buildings really quickly and if there were maps where there were air positions that were really close and you could get your air units to their base before they got their ground units to your base then that became a viable strategy Hmm. um and and different geographies changed the units that other races could get to for for terran depending on the map geography um, like elevated grounds, um, like dropping bio units in medevacs would be a lot more viable versus some maps maybe siege tank pushing or siege tanks on high ground is more viable. Um, and there are even some maps that um, you could say were better for mutilists or and then mutables weren't as viable on certain maps because they were too open and there wasn't enough places for them to hide. So there were all sorts of different things and Every time a map maker would would try to create a map, they'd have to take into account, okay, well, is this going to be a good forge fast expand map, or air units going to be too good on this map, or siege tanks just too good in this position, and sometimes even maps would get revisions because certain strategies would be too strong on certain maps. So, as sure. you said, it, it's totally fascinating, and and there were so many possibilities. Yeah, it's just a crazy. I can the the balancing issues must be just unbelievable i mean i guess that's why they were given map bands that's why yeah uh, that's why you're giving bands and that's why they were pros yeah that, and that makes sense i mean like this but if we want to move on to something that also has a lot of maps i mean you briefly mentioned overwatch yeah you get a little bit of fps here yeah um the overwatch right now has the biggest map pool of any major esport if i believe right i mean like counter-strike only has a you know five at a time yeah, I'm not, how many moment? how many Counter Strike maps actually exist for competitive play? Period. Do you know? Well, it it depends. It, it uh, they have a active duty of uh, five maps. I believe it's five maps at a time. Okay, yeah, um, I think that sounds right. So they have active duty of five maps at a time, but at any given moment they can swap them in and out. Uh, so there's probably you know a dozen that can come in and out, and you know obviously there's a ton of other maps that are played only casually. 
mm-hmm. you can you can jump into them uh, if you're just playing online. But yeah, and in competitive, it's only five at a time. Um, so it, it's 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 always interesting to look into what maps are you know being played at any given time because you know like growing up you know playing 1.5 and 1.6 1.4 and blah 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 so on and so 1. forth 1.4 whoa showing 1. your 1.4 i'm old showing your I'm, skills I'm sure. or at least your age there my age definitely not my skills definitely my age uh okay, but so, the... so i'm actually looking as footnote uh e-league has a map pool of seven because they have best of okay, five sure. finals and each right. person gets one ban yeah um so the so the the way that that ends up working is they actually remove maps from the active duty pool so what that means is you know if you want to play aztec which hasn't been in the active duty pool i don't know why that's active duty pool in years and years and years i don't know why i'm bringing up aztec i just like aztec uh they like it they they'll bring it in and out of of the pool depending on whether or not they think it's ready and viable for competitive play. And in Counter-Strike, the maps are so particular that uh, being ready for active duty play is really, really difficult. So and that's I'm why a, they... I am a CS noob. Can you explain sure. the kind of strategy differences that exist on the active duty maps? And just as I'm reading them, right now they are Inferno, Cobblestone, Cache, Mirage, Overpass, Nuke, and Train. I kind of know all the mm-hmm. maps, from watching yeah, sure. but i don't play counter-strike really so i don't know the nuances well so i mean the you know there are certain maps where it's you know better for t side you know terrorists this is for the terrorist team versus a ct side so it'll be a ct sided map versus a terrorist sided map um or there'll be something that's like on train which is a very it has a lot of short range areas but with a couple like long range sniping type areas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh but those are very difficult to pull off. Only you know, god tier snipers are really, really good on train. Um, if they're gonna snipe, you know, oppers as they're called. Nobody yeah. calls them snipers. Uh, so it, it it really depends on the uh, the way that angles are built into the game. This is what's interesting about shooter maps is it's everything is about sight, and yeah. everything is about angles of sight. So in order for uh, a map to be quote unquote balanced. Um, the the angles of sight have to be fair for both teams so you have to be able to see like if you know if one guy is is holding down an angle the other guy has to have it you know allegedly a shot at getting around the corner and and hitting that guy first yeah so when you when you see a, a map that is not ready for active duty oftentimes there'll be a lot of unfair sight angles i see uh so the the or there'll be instances where one team can get to a point faster than the other uh at, at a speed in which it's impossible right. to either take or retake uh yeah. the 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 point so yeah it, it's it's very it's a very weird thing and it's a lot about feel <laughs> which is weird to say uh it's, it makes it, sense shooters are, are a very feel heavy genre of game um so when you're feeling out a, a new map and you're figuring out the the design that went into it and you're figuring out the strategies that you're going to be using it it it'll either feel good or bad right mm-hmm. which is i think an important point with a lot of map design it either feels good to play or it doesn't and and it, that's a very ambiguous thing to say but it, it's it is no it's important because sometimes either thematically or color scheme wise sometimes certain maps don't don't work 
Right, exactly. And so when you're, or, you know, there's weird, there's even weirder stuff. Like sometimes there's uh, weird smoke angles, which people don't, who don't play Counter-Strike, when you're throwing a smoke grenade, which, you know, blocks off the field of vision in a certain area, uh, some uh, high level players have figured out specific angles and specific locations and weird different are you jumping when you throw it? Are you crouching when you throw it? Or blah, blah, blah. Uh, to figure out exactly how to throw a grenade all the way across a map and land it in a specific spot. Yeah. So Dust2 was notorious for this in the skyboxes. It was oftentimes really difficult for you to throw a grenade uh, to the exact point you wanted. And that's one of the reasons why they, they're reworking Dust2 ah, is like if you have skyboxes. Um, obviously, Dust2 had a massive uh, visual rework as well. Uh, if, if you guys haven't gone and looked up the Dusty remake, I recommend looking it up. They have a really to. interesting thing. I have uh, it, look, it looks it's a gorgeous, uh, it's a gorgeous rework. I, I, it's one of their best looking maps by a mile. Um, but so yeah, there, there's all these different small things, specifically especially in Counter Strike, which is such a precise game that uh, it, there's a lot of very specific game design that has to go into that. So I do know, even though I'm somewhat a CS noob, but from a, from a player standpoint, I've been following the eSports scene for like 11 years now at least, and I do know <laughs> that the, re, the map being T or CT favored is why they play 15 maps on one side right, and then exactly. swap. Because the theory is, even if a map was so T or so CT favored that you're like, it's just impossible to win on the other side, you each get an equal chance to play both, and then it's just a matter of, as I, as I said earlier, who breaks serve. Right, exactly. And, and that's what's really interesting. That's what's really cool about CS, and like you said in StarCraft, uh, is you do have the chance to, yeah, break serve. I mean, like, if a team... If a team manages to win six rounds on a side that is not favored of theirs, you know, six out of 15, so it's nine to six, that that's a huge deal. Yeah. Right? Uh, because they kept they, it at least close go, enough while they were disadvantaged. Right. And that's a big strategy. That's a big, important element to playing Counter-Strike uh, is, is figuring out how to do well on a side that you're disadvantaged on. And I, th- I think that's what's one of the really cool and unique things about Counter-Strike Esports is that just that sort of breaking serve element. And the fact that they play so many goddamn rounds. Yeah. 30 rounds is so many rounds of Counter-Strike. It is. The other thing is a lot of teams will focus their preparation on a few different maps that are then kind of like their map where it's like right. they know that they have a, a either a hidden strategy or just like a, very, a few very... Um, a few strategies they can execute better than other people can defend against. And that's where you kind of hear about where, oh, this team is favored on this map because they've put in the mm-hmm. time and they've they've kind of theory crafted and practiced that map enough that they usually have advantages over their opponents. Now, I'm, I don't know enough to know specific examples of that, but I do know that they exist from hearing on broadcast and from following results of it. Yeah, and it, and it changes over time as well. I mean... There were, you know, moments where certain teams have been just absolutely unbeatable on certain maps. Um, but over time, as teams figure out different strategies, as the meta shifts, uh, it, it can absolutely change. But it's always fun to see one team, at, like, destroy one map for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, so I guess we could talk a little bit about, uh, well, hmm, I'm trying to think. I mean, Overwatch really covering the same ground for the most part, but their maps are just yeah. kind of wildly 
different, especially because the objectives are mm-hmm. uh, like there's assault, there's payload, and then there's king of the hill, and that obviously changes the strategies a lot. Where certain teams either well, like most American and European teams, for example, hate the the assault, the double capture points, whereas the Korean teams practice it a bit more, so they had an advantages when you had. Uh, European and American teams playing against Korean teams, so that kind of like even adds another level onto it. Yeah, and it, it it it's weird to look at how a map or how certain regions. This is actually an interesting topic: is how certain regions prefer specific map styles. Um, and it you know there was a long period of time where like Envy could not win on an assault map. You know, yeah, that was that was a dark time. Yeah, there was a very big controversy because of the Apex map pool having in assault maps, whereas almost all of the North American teams didn't even practice assault maps for the longest time because they hated them so much. And because even though there weren't that many tournaments in America at the time, the ones that did, a lot of them just say, yeah, like you can veto all the assault maps. Um, mm-hmm. Blizzard has since changed it so that in Blizzard events, like there aren't any map vetoes, so things got kind of a lot more complicated there. Yeah, so it, it it's and that's something that that a lot of esports have to really figure out, especially ones that have specifically ones that have multiple maps in them, is they have to figure out how to do that sort of ban pick ban style of pregame, yeah, uh, figuring stuff out, pregame preparation, uh, so that they can make it the most fair for the most people and overwatch is still in the very very early early stages of that yeah like you said with some team some tournaments allowing for banning of specific maps and other other tournaments only allowing for you know a pick phase rather than a ban phase and a pick yeah. phase um so it's it's really interesting to to watch overwatch really figure that out so i'm gonna let you talk about one of your favorite genres arena shooter maps i <laughs> While I played Quake 3, that is literally the only arena shooter I ever really played. So if you would like mm-hmm. to talk about how arena shooter sure. maps played into their balance, go ahead, my friend. So for arena shooters, I mean, I, obviously Quake was one of the first major Western esports, but I, I like to think of arena shooters as how they really influenced uh, the rest of map design, uh, specifically in shooters. Is, you know, if you look at Quake, you know, it's this very small map with a lot of cooldowns of different guns spawning and power-ups spawning and that sort of thing. But uh, if you look at Unreal, which was where uh, the, the two-fort map first appeared, uh, which is, for those that are not old-school PC gamers, I mean, not even that old-school, because it, you know, it appeared in Team Fortress 2, uh, basically what it is is it's two forts on either side of the map with a bridge in the middle connecting them. So the idea is you had to get across this bridge, which is very an open space uh, that anyone can, you know, snipe you from afar or whatever and get into your opponent's base, capture their flag or whatever it may be and bring it back to yours, go back across the bridge. And that really cemented this idea of, you know, a, uh, a symmetrical map that could force players to interact with, you know, a variety of different shooting styles. I mean, in that Mm. map in particular, you got this sort of close range stuff. When you get into the forts, you got the snipers outside. You got, you know, those are the mid range stuff. If two teams are trying to get across the map at the same time, Uh, it, it, it really created this 
the first time you really saw a multitude of different classes and, cl and gun styles really start interacting with each other. Um, that is really cool. I mean, yeah, it's it, it was it was, it's a cool moment in competitive gaming because before that, you know, it, it, you just the strategy was find the best gun, which is usually the rocket launcher or the lightning gun or whatever rail gun or whatever rail, it might yeah. be, and and then find each other and shoot each other until one of you dies. Uh, and then so what Quake brought on or Unreal brought on was the idea that you had to actually play roles, which then got into the class base shooters. You know, it, two Fort ended up in, you know, the original Team Fortress and then Team Fortress 2. Uh, and then, you know, you see that all across a variety of maps. I mean, if you think about it, like the capture point maps in uh, in Overwatch are basically two Fort. It's symmetrical maps yeah with with a point in the middle that you're trying to get to and usually the there's the point in the middle is yeah the king of the hill maps yeah 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 the king of the hill maps um yeah not not capture point king of the hill yeah maps. yeah the um, yeah the king of the hill map yeah very much they are completely symmetrical uh maybe not well yeah less. actually they're more or less symmetrical yeah um so yeah it is it, it's it's definitely something that brings in this new style of gaming just based on the map itself I mean, because Quake didn't have, or Unreal didn't have specific classes, not until much later. It, it was just, you found a sniper rifle, and then you were now the sniper class. So you sit up uh, up yeah. top and you shoot people as they try to come in. You find the shotgun, now you're the guy who runs in and invades uh, and tries to get the flag. Oh, the so like the evolution of games. So it's, it's just interesting to look at the influence of arena shooters in regards to, you know, later later games. And now hopefully arena shooters are back a little bit with Quake Champions, but we shall see. We'll see. All right, so now we get to the genre that we haven't talked about, and <laughs> we'll kind of get to why we hadn't talked about it, but almost universally, MOBAs have one map, and there is one very notable succession, Heroes of the Storm, exception, Heroes of the Storm, which has successfully implemented multiple maps in their competitive scene, but mm -hmm. in no other MOBA at least as far as I remember or as far as I know, has been able to incorporate multiple maps into their competitive scene. And the kind of thing I want to get to is why. Why do you, Taylor, think that only Heroes of the Storm has implemented multiple maps into their competitive scene, given all the good that we've talked about that comes <laughs> from having multiple maps? Why is this the genre that's been so resistant to it for one reason or another? I mean, I think a lot of that comes comes back to Dota. You know, like Dota is and was when it was first, you know, being developed as a mod was it's so complex. So when you look at most games, I mean, the mechanics are relatively simple. I mean, StarCraft is obviously a notable exception. Brood War being the hardest esport period. In Mechanically, it is definitely the hardest ever made. Yeah. Um, the, the Dota Starcraft is obviously a notable exception, but every other game has been relatively simple. I mean, you look at Counter Strike or Overwatch or Quake or Unreal or any of these other esports that have multiple maps. the The gameplay is simple, so the strategy comes down to playing the map and you know using those simple mechanics to do something really like impressive. Um, obviously. I don't want to denigrate how hard Quake is or Unreal. Um, those games are really, really difficult shooters, but they're not as complex as as MOBAs are. Yeah. Uh, and so when you get this level of you know hundred plus characters with a bunch of different skills each, uh, 
in any different levels of formation and roles and all this sort of stuff, it the complexity does not come from the differences in maps. The complexity comes from the differences in characters, right, and team right. compositions. Um, so my follow up would be: Is what makes Hots different that it has done it so successfully, or is it that despite the fact and the interactions and hero complexity, they also really enjoy the fact that I think I, what it, what it is is like they enjoy the fact that the maps then change the hero balance and the hero complexities right. and kind of brings other heroes to prominence that might not otherwise get played as much because of the existence of these maps. Um, I think one of the major reasons is, well, there's, there's a, a few, but I, one of the major reasons is it, it started as a multi-map game. When Heroes of the Storm was yeah. released, they're like, here's a bunch of maps. Yeah, it had a um, bunch. Even when people could just play it at BlizzCon, before there was even a beta, there were multiple maps. Right. And, I mean, also, there are the, the heroes are simpler than in other games. There's also no um, items in that game, which makes a big no difference. There's no items. There's no skill trees. There's no, like, you just sort of get all your stuff as you level up. Um I mean, there are skill trees. There are there are talent trees, but it's but there's not... no skill points. I should say there's no you're not you're not leveling up individual abilities at any given time. Right, right. The the complexity of the game is pared down a lot, um, but I, I you know I, I I I that sounds like a denigration of the game. I actually really like Heroes of the Storm. I think it's a great game, um, but I think it, more you're saying the simplicity in the character design right. allows more design space at least like design headspace from a developer perspective for putting stuff into map design right and also the fact that you don't have to balance items is a huge thing yeah. so they're basically took the balance away from items like the and gave it to maps um sort of so it's not a one-to-one yeah. but that, that's sort of what happened because there and like before we go too far down this road there have been attempts in dota style mobas heroes of new earth for example had another 5v5 map that um i played i liked it a bit i didn't think it was as good as the default map and then league of legends has also had twisted tree line which was a 3v3 right. map different incarnations of it but ultimately wasn't as popular enough to sustain a scene and they even had dominion for a while which was another 5v5 right. map um i actually at one point thought that that might take over the competitive scene simply because the games were <laughs> faster paced and i thought that, that was nope. a huge plus that the games finished in like 15 to 20 minutes as opposed to 30 to 45 minutes um, frank it's fast and fun it's fast and fun but other people did not think so and the scene just kind of didn't take take hold of it um, but the same things that we're talking about were true. It amplified the strengths of certain characters. Um, it kind of showcased, uh, like, you know, because of the geography, certain items or certain abilities were stronger than others. Um, but I feel like the communities just didn't really accept it as much as they do in other games, and definitely not as much as in Heroes of the Storm. Yeah. And I, but also you gotta remember that Heroes of the Storm has the Blizzard factor behind them. So explain I mean, like, what you mean by that. So Blizzard is notorious—not notorious, but Blizzard is famous for basically being able to make just about anything work. I mean, like think about it, like they're—I mean, they're Blizzard. They have the highest polished games. Um, zero they, zero fail rate on their games thus far. Zero fail rate. It, it, the fact that they just have they have the pedigree i mean like people trust 
Blizzard. And so when they go, okay, we're going to have a MOBA with multiple maps, if another developer had said that, people would have been like, okay, dude, like League of Legends and Dota already exists. Yeah. Like, why would you try it? Like, that's that's a gimmick. People would think it was a gimmick. When Blizzard yeah. does it, everyone goes, okay, they're, they're, they must be onto something. If Blizzard is committing this level, this amount of money into a game, then they must be onto something. Right. Um, and I think, I think that's a, that's a huge, huge thing for them. And they've always been able to pull that stuff up. Yeah. So I guess the other part of it is that Blizzard has the games that have been most influenced by having multiple maps. And maybe that kind sure. of played into it a little bit, being that Brood War, Warcraft 3, and Starcraft 2 all kind of were, I don't want to say successful because of multiple maps, but their competitive scenes were sustained for so long because of map innovation. And I think they saw an opportunity to innovate and they saw, well, what are the one, what's the one thing that all of these MOBAs aren't doing, whether it's smite or league or bloodline champions, none of them really tried to go with full blown map um, innovation like blizzard did where the maps have these very complex and awesome mechanics in addition to mm-hmm. just being different to highlight the strengths of the different champions like some are better for duelists some are better for specialists some are better for assassins some are better for mages and that really plays a huge part of the competitive scene and even all the way excuse me down to the casual scene i think that that's really cool um, and while I do think that communities have been pretty resistant to it in League and Dota, and I think we can kind of like say that ship has sailed for those games, but if ever <laughs> there's there's new innovation in another MOBA, I do think that map that map should be almost a given at this point. That we shouldn't just say the Dota map is the only map that can exist in MOBAs because I really don't believe right. that, and I think that belief actually stifles innovation quite a bit. I know people who don't play Dota or League or like have passing knowledge of it will believe me, but if you look at the difference between the Dota map and the League of Legends map, massive differences. Massive differences. The only thing that's similar is there are three lanes that are roughly in the same same shape, and literally everything else is different. So like people are like, oh, they're just both three lane games. It's like, well. There's so many differences in the middle of, of what those maps are, and so many different balance tweaks in the way that they interact with each other. Um, and Not the way only that, that even, the like, game design is different. Interact. Like, junglers oh, yeah. aren't a given in Dota. They happen sometimes, yeah. but they're every game in League. And League of Legends, the way that the map is set up is forces jungles junglers to exist. You have to have a jungler. And, and not only that, Dota 2 recently overhauled their entire map to include shrines. They changed where Roshan was from the bottom right to the middle of the top side right. of the river. There's been a, a bunch of... And not only that, there's been different ramp placement and the actual architecture mm-hmm. of the jungle has changed too. So so to anyone saying that you cannot innovate on MOBA maps, hey, guess what? League of Legends and Dota do it constantly. Yeah, there are subtle They're changing the map. There was actually a, a big change when we went for SRU, the Summoner's Rift update. The geography, mm-hmm. people might not remember, but the bushes were a lot different. The shape of the jungle was different. Yep. We've added multiple jungle camps since three years yep. ago. Um, so there is definitely room for innovation in the geography of maps. It's just, does the community decide that it wants it? And are the developers brave enough to put in the time and then sell this to the communities and say, Hey, we really think that this would be good for the game. Um, again, I think it might be too late for Dota and league of legends because they've had Dota's had what 
13 years or 14 years on the same yeah. map and league has had basically what eight years on the same map but Coming maybe yeah maybe i'm not sure i, I do i would like to see it because i'm cur- like one thing i always thought about is when i was when i was playing professional dota um one of the things i actually did because i liked maps a lot for because i also played warcraft 3 i was like what would dota look like with two lanes or what would dota look like with four lanes yeah. or what would dota look like with if it was just a bunch of like um forests and like almost no lanes like how would that would dramatically change the game suddenly you would have assassins that were better or and maybe if there mm-hmm. were if it was only two lanes and like not many paths through the forest maybe mages would be a lot better because you'd be spamming abilities kind of like arams in, in league of legends so right. just just changing things a little bit would dramatically change the balance of the game and i think it would be really cool it would be cool i mean we shall see uh, what the future holds. I mean, it will, ideally another MOBA will pop up as one of the others slowly falls away. I won't say which one. I'll leave that up to mystery. Mm, I don't think anyone, I don't think, I don't think any, Neither any is going anywhere. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're going fine. But uh, we'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe, I mean, it would be a very Valve move to just be like, hey, guess what? There's another map now. Um, that would be hilarious. Uh, I would love extremely it. Extremely Valve. Um, Gabe Newell is currently working on a map. And I, I'm kidding. He's too busy. Hey man, they play. they had lots of maps in Left 4 Dead. They had lots of maps in uh, mean, Le- Le- Team Fortress Le- for Dead, 2. Left 4 Dead, the best game of the Xbox 360 generation. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Out of all of them. Out of all. Oh, of them. I will fight anyone on. The, I will fight anyone on that statement. Yeah. Anyone, bring it on. We'll see. Um, so kind of the first reason that we kind of thought of maps was the the Dust 2 remake. The other was that Taylor and I have both like caught the bug on survival shooters. He's playing a lot of PUBG. I'm yep. still playing a lot of PUBG and have gone to Fortnite. But survival shooters thus far only have one map, but PUBG announced a second map. It's kind of this mm-hmm. desert jungle, primarily urban map, where most of the map is actually one city, and then there are small towns around the outside of it. And of all of the games that we've talked about, I think that survival shooters... Now is the time for them to make multiple maps because the communities are massive (laughs) and the games are new enough that it won't be as shocking. And because it's a game that's so rooted in reality, a battle royale last man standing, the geography is everything with that because there's no classes. All the guns are the same. The strategy depends entirely on the geography of the map. And so I absolutely love the fact that we already have the leader in the genre is innovating and adds a second map and of course once they write two they're not going back unless the community just lambasts this first map and hates it um there's going to be more and i'm so glad yeah. for that yeah and it's it's gonna be I'm, I'm happy to see them attempt another map and like you know looking at the images that that they've put out for this map it's definitely significantly different than the first one. Oh, I mean, yeah. like almost nothing alike to be honest. There's just a bunch of really tall buildings which I, I don't think there's any buildings higher than three or this, four like, stories. Three, yeah. Three floor three stories and a roof. And I these have the, these look the like they're stories. 12 story buildings. Yeah, which is going to be very very uh difficult to deal with in certain instances. But uh, I, I'm hoping that they figure out a way to balance, you know, snipers in the, you know, ninth floor of a building. 
because that seems very aggravating. I mean, the other but, thing, though, uh, is, like, when you're in an urban environment like that, there's walls everywhere, so there's a lot right, of ways exactly. to line a site, Cypress. And and so I, I think that's... I, I was thinking about this last night as I was playing as I was playing PUBG, is the lines of sight in that game are, whether this is intentional or accidental, are amazing. Yeah, it's, because it's beautiful in that regard. It, the... the Whenever you think you have a, a spot that is like, okay, I can see everything. There's a tree in the way. Or there's or a the, hill. Or the circle there's moves, and then suddenly the everything changes. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, well, I'm in a good spot for the circle, and then the circle will change. You're like, oh, wait, now I can get flanked by everyone because people are going to have to yep. move into my direction. Exactly. And so I, I, I have faith that this that this new, uh, new map is going to be able to do that well. Um, be I mean because an urban environment does sound f- fucking fascinating. Yeah. In 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 a PUBG set. Honestly, I, mean, I I love the fights in the big cities in PUBG. Yeah, like, dropping I, into Pachinki or you know or, no, or, or Novo or whatever. Oh God, Novo is so fun. Yeah. So, I, I die every single time I go, but it's fun. But yeah, like and the urban warfare that takes place is really cool. But most of the not every time, but most of the time, and when the circle gets down to like the top twenty, top fifteen, you're almost always in open fields, and it's and right. a lot of that comes down to circle luck because sometimes you'll just have to go into the open. But in an urban environment, you might have like three different squads in the same building that all have to move yeah. because the circle is moved, and then that who knows what happens then? Like yeah. that is fascinating to me. So I'm gonna have a quick game story, but last night we were in that instance where there were two dudes on the roof, and we were in the building, and then the circle moved. So I just threw a, uh, it was a in a three story building, so I just threw a Molotov cocktail on the stairs and ran. It was oh, fun. that is amazing. That's great. It was it was it was it was definitely a cruel moment, and I, I didn't kill anyone, but I think they died. Yeah, they would probably die to the circle if if you have to wait like 15 seconds for the Molotov yep. to clear. Yep. It was beautiful. I loved it. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to more of those sort of moments uh, as we get into more urban environments in PUBG. Yeah, and so Fortnite already is fascinating because of the geography and your ability to just kind of make buildings mm-hmm. on the fly. But so, and this goes for all the games in the genre. I would love to see like an Arctic map or like a jungle yeah. map, or or even if it's Ooh, the jungle map. Yeah, or even if even if it's the same like grassy mountainous terrain just different geography or more buildings there's so many possibilities for that genre with this that it's just really exciting and this this is another instance where because of the design of the game and you know the server architecture maybe player-based maps aren't going to be as common but i do think that there's a huge opportunity for these developers to do like map making contests where you actually like design a map in on, on your tablet or something and submit it and then maybe they actually bring you on to help design the map or something. Like to me, that type of stuff is really, really cool. And I would love to be in a world where PUBG or Fortnite or H1, if that's your game, have like five or six different maps, even if it's just in yeah. casual play, but even for competitive play eventually. Yeah, and uh, I think that's gonna open up a lot of opportunities for competitive play specifically. I mean, like, Right now, there's only the with the fact that there's only one map, it it definitely feels like things could get a little stale. I don't want to say stale, no. but uh, I, I don't want to say stale, but like the RNG elements of the game feel that much more frustrating. Yes, sometimes that makes sense. I would say that because of the architecture that exists in the PUBG map right now, 
circle luck seems a little frustrating sometimes yeah because uh, sometimes just having to run through an open field at no fault of your own feels really Mm -hmm. really bad and so if you start getting into you know like the urban map or God, a, a really dense, dense jungle map would be really cool. That'd be so cool. Like really, really dense. Like you could hear somebody in the trees, but you have no idea what. That'd be really, really dope. Um, but the uh, the the ability to have different maps that play to different strengths. You know, like right now, sniping is in the the current PUBG map. Sniping is the end all be all up until like the final yep. circle. If you have if an the... OM or a Car ninety eight with an eight X and a mm-hmm. suppressor, you are a god. <laughs> Yeah, you, you 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 are basically unbeatable right up until the final circle. And at that point, if you've killed basically everyone, you have all the gear, like you have everything. Um, so the idea of, you know, having a mid-range map or a close-range map, uh it sounds really like it could be a, a boon to the to the competitive yeah, because scene. like a city map like yeah at a certain point like snipers on the roof will be hard to deal with but also when the circle gets small enough like say this say the circle is just around three buildings well then suddenly shotguns mm-hmm. become a lot better because you're in these close quarters and shotguns right. right now are very much maligned after the initial like grabbing guns in the city phase or grabbing guns in the school or hospital phase shut everyone's just dumping their shotguns they're not used anymore for the most part but in a in an urban environment or like you were saying a really dense jungle environment where you just don't have sight lines until someone's like maybe 10 meters away from you then all of a sudden shotguns and even submachine guns become good again um, and I think the Scotch submachine guns are so bad yeah, in PUBG they're so God, and, in feels, Fortnite too they're so pretty much useless so like creating situations where those guns then become better is a huge opportunity for innovation and then maybe rather than like fortnite just had a patch yesterday where they buffed certain guns like maybe instead of focusing that much on the gun balance like you still want to bring them online but certain maps make certain guns better just by their nature and that to me might be a, a slightly better way to go than constantly pulling the levers on the gun balance maybe you have maps that kind of pull the levers on the gun balance by themselves yeah, I mean, like I, I want the, I want to play in a in a PUBG where finding the Tommy gun doesn't feel horrible. Yeah, because the like, Tommy gun is the funniest gun in the game. It's hilarious. You so, pick up the Tommy gun, you're like, this is hilarious. The fog. What map, if I could actually kill the somebody? fog map is actually good for the Tommy gun, yeah. at least in some areas. Again, not in the open fields, should, but in any cities, the Tommy gun is great in the fog. We should actually talk about weather because PUBG is the only competitive game that I can think of that weather effects actually are a thing. I believe you are correct. Yeah, because there isn't weather in Fortnite right now, and there's no weather in any of the shooters right now, and there's no weather in MOBAs right now. So, yeah, I think that's correct. So, like, for those who don't play PUBG, uh, in PUBG, the visuals and the sound sound is vital. Because you want to know, it's a game about... It's basically a game about finding people. It's a game about figuring out locations of different people. And so not necessarily playing, killing them, but it always information is power in that game. Information is the most powerful thing you can have. So when you have a you know an instance where it's bright and sunny, you can hear a gunshot from far away, and you can f- sort of look over and figure out where they are. It's a clear day. You can see where they are. But if you have uh, a, a map where, or even an instance where it's raining, you can hear the gunshot, barely but you can't hear their footsteps when they're when they're getting close 
if you have an instance where it's foggy out, which is my favorite, I love, oh God, I love a good fog game. Um, you can hear the gunshot and you can hear their footsteps, but you have no idea where they are. Yeah. Because it's so, the fog it's is very so hard. The only time that it, the exception is if you have like a 4X or an 8X, then sometimes right. that cuts through the fog a little bit, but still the visibility is pretty limited. So it, it's, it, it completely actually changes the way the game is played without making any geo, geographical changes, yeah. which is, I think is a really interesting thing that, that PUBG is. I'm not sure if H1Z1 has weather effects. I actually have no idea. I I've have not played, played H1, H1 and I have not watched enough H1. I, I kind of skipped H1 and I went from DayZ to PUBG. Right. So I'm Same. guilty there. Um, but I would say like, if you had a map that let's say, like I was saying an Arctic where it's just, maybe it's not always snowing, but it had like a much higher chance to be snowing. Maybe a sunny day is the rarity there. And then like, it's super bright. So that actually affects vision too. That, that to me is like, that's the kind of innovation that I want to see in games because it changes the gameplay by itself. It makes things more interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. as long as the map is not frustrating to play it just becomes different then i think that's a very good thing yeah i mean like even small stuff like i mean i don't know if you knew this but when it's raining it's actually the vehicles are harder to control in PUBG. i did not know more. that but um it yeah. makes sense and if you run in the I th- I, i'm fairly certain if you run in like the mud you move a little bit slower which is like very small things and it's That's really cool, cool like to see see these little rng changes that just basically they're not even really rng they just change the way that you you have to strategize when you're playing the game and i, I think that's a huge bit of it, uh, innovation that is really overlooked in pubg I, so I, I think the weather effects are brilliant so i do want to kind of put on the flip side to kind of we've obviously been talking about the huge benefits of math but here are some of the reasons why developers don't do it um, and it's mostly because it's really hard to balance maps sometimes. If a map is poorly made, and a poorly made map is very hard to define unless you've played dozens or hundreds of games on it, or you have data from dozens or hundreds of games, because sometimes the balance isn't there, sometimes it's just not fun, sometimes it's frustrating, and it's very hard to know without having a lot of testing. So a lot of smaller developers can't really test these maps as much as as much as you know the main map that's out there and if they release a map that's either not balanced or frustrating to play on then the community will just reject it immediately and that makes it really difficult there have been maps in starcraft's history um and even in like overwatch history like anubis for example in overwatch where people just hate it they hate playing on it both sides of it it's not interesting it's not fun it's frustrating and therefore people just don't want anything to do with it and that's one of the risks of making multiple maps and why it's not just an auto-include because you then do have to have people that are good at designing maps and that's not always a given. Yeah, and it, and that comes from a community thing too. Like you have to have a certain size of community before people start are interested in making maps yeah. or a certain level of dedication. So it, it, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy that if the game does not have good maps to begin with and doesn't gain an audience they're not going to have better maps made for them from yeah. the community either. But I do want to see them try because I think that, as as you say, wh- who's your colleague that says it's game of the decade? Oh, uh, uh, it's not really my colleague. Uh, Tim Rogers. Over Tim Rogers. Kotaku. Um, PUBG, maybe it's not the game of the decade, but the survival shooter genre is basically encompassing everything 
that uh, mm-hmm. has kind of been coming for the last decade, and we are kind of at the pinnacle of innovation with that game. And so I am hoping and glad that it's at least the start of that being a game design emphasis because after StarCraft II has kind of faded a little bit, I feel like that has been dramatically neglected in competitive games, and I'm glad to see it coming back again. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really fascinating to watch as things evolve as a result of the way that uh, Battlegrounds has has influenced the scene. Did you want to mention any other points, Taylor? We've we've talked a lot about a lot of stuff. Um, I, I just really wanted to iterate how important I think Battlegrounds is going to be um, for, for map design going forward. Uh, I, I think that's going to be... It, it's changed a lot of stuff, and I think people, if they're not paying attention to the cool little intricacies that that game is doing, uh, they're missing out. So keep yeah. playing Battlegrounds, everybody. Yeah, we're on the cutting edge of what could be a kind of like renaissance in game design as far as maps. So it's really exciting stuff. I know that um, the game developer designer in me is really excited, and I know there's probably a lot of game devs at other companies that are paying really close attention to what's happening in that genre because I think a lot of cool stuff is starting to come out. You know, it's only a matter of time before someone starts to take like magic and and that type of thing and puts that in a battle royale environment like that that stuff <laughs> yeah. is coming at some point like it's not always going to be gu- battle royale. it's not always going to be guns i can guarantee you that like something else will come along and as long as i, th- I get this map innovation i think that the entire genre will be better off for it because everything else can kind of come from these genres that already exist but map making is this kind of cross-genre thing that has such a profound impact on gaming that I really want to see it keep getting developed, and I'm glad it is. Check this out. What if Riot made a League of Legends battle royale where everyone just got through random champion and they have to go kill each other? Yeah, it, let's do it. First person, sign me up. No, not first person. Third person, just, just top-down, League of Legends style, huge map. Let's do it. Sounds really dumb. Let's go. I got my money on Rise. All right. <laughs> huh? Who would I play? I think I would. I think I would play probably Talon for the Bush shenanigans. Ah, uh, yes, that's actually pretty good. Rengar would be pretty good too. All right. Yeah, it'd be fun. Uh, who wins? Answer whoever wants to on Twitter or wherever this is posted. Who wins in a battle royale between all the League of Legends characters? Let us know. I would love to know that. Yeah, um, that would be a fascinating design decision. But um, let us know what you guys think about maps and gaming. If you like the fact that games have multiple maps, if you think that HOTS got it right when they changed up the formula, or if you really just don't like other maps in other games, I would love to know what you think. <laughs> Make sure you follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com, class the cooldown, or at Twitter on Gas Station Podcast, and everywhere else this is posted on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Um, thank you much for listening. Um, other than that, I guess I'm Frank Fields. You can find me at FFMiri on Twitter. I'm Taylor Cock. You can find me at Taylor Cock on Twitter. This has been the Cooldown Guys, where we talk about the coolest and dumbest, mostly cool stuff in gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.